Well, it is a great joy to be in the Lord's house tonight. Amen. Amen. Tell you, I sure love Brother Gray. It's always a thrill of mine. We get to preach together several times during the year, and I don't just say this in his presence. I say it behind his back. Amen. Every time I'm uh, with Brother Gray, I leave with some encouragement, some fresh ideas in my heart. And uh, again tonight, you did again, preacher. That was wonderful. I do want to thank uh, the folks here. Uh, at Lighthouse for being so welcoming and gracious to my dear friend, Brother Vincent Akamani. He is a uh, he is very humble, but let me tell you, he's really sort of the Pope of Togo. Amen. Uh, the, uh, he is a, a great man of God and respected all over his nation. And uh, the uh, it's just a great honor. Three years ago, a little over three years ago, when God uh, moved us from a 33 year and a half ministry in Northern Michigan. To North Carolina, I'd never met Brother Vincent before, and uh, boy, I tell you, I, I don't say this bragging, but well, we have uh, uh, quadrupled our support of him since I've become pastor. When I began to realize the caliber of man he was and what he was doing, man, I wanted to get behind it in a great big way. Yeah. And uh, the uh, he is a tremendous, tremendous friend and a great, great missionary. And as you pray about him and other preachers, I'd urge you to have him in your church. The, uh, he is a certified public accountant. That was his career in Togo uh, before uh, God called him to preach. And uh, he uh, now has uh, earned his bachelor's degree, earned his master's degree, earned his doctorate degree. And uh, he is a very learned man. You, uh, the, uh, don't let his uh, accent fool you. Uh, right. the, uh, his accent is French. That's what he, Brother Vince speaks and he speaks several languages, so he's smarter than all of us together. Amen. But I love him dearly, and they got a great family. His wife Rose is a precious lady, and it's an honor to be their preacher. So thank you for loving on him, brother Matt. Wave at us tonight. Uh, this is a dear friend of mine as well, brother Matt. Is from the uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia. Appreciate y'all coming tonight, and uh, good to see all of you. Grab your Bible. I want to jump right in tonight. Uh, I know what time it is. It is. Uh, 12 minutes till 9 o'clock, and uh, I'm not going to keep you uh, the uh, unusually long. We heard a great message tonight, but I want to just, uh, I want to throw something at you tonight that the Holy Spirit threw at me very recently. Uh, Philippians 1, stand if you will as soon as you find your place there, Philippians chapter 1, and I'm on, right? That's, that is the cordless mic working. The uh, verse number 1, let me begin to read. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints of Christ Jesus which are at Philippi now don't miss this with the bishops and deacons grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ I thank my God Paul says to the church of Philippi upon every remembrance of you I would just say tonight I want to live in such a way that when people think about me they're thankful. It's good. I don't want to live in such a way, Brother Gray, that when people think about me, they say, boy, what a tragedy. So much potential, and it was thrown away. I don't want people to look at me and say, well, God could have really done something with him if this hadn't happened or that had not happened. I want to make people thankful that I was in their life. That's good. But here's the message tonight, verse number four. Now I want you to catch the way Paul says this. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Notice how Paul said 
he prayed for the church at Philippi. Would you read to me the last four words of verse number four? Let's read them deliberately and let's read them uh, the, uh, uh, really analyzing as we read. Making request with joy. When Paul was praying for the church at Philippi, this fascinates me. But the word that comes to his mind is joy. Good. Now, anyone who's been in church any length of time, any student of the New Testament knows Philippi is what we call one of the prison epistles. Paul's not writing from a study. He's not writing from an office. He's writing from a prison cell. How can anybody be talking about joy when they're incarcerated? And we, you understand, not in the kind of prisons y'all have in Ohio, where the prisoners got more rights than we do outside of the prison. We're talking about if he's where I think he is, it might be the worst prison known in the world at that time. He might have been in what's called the Praetorian Prison, which, without me being graphic tonight, let me just say that there was no sanitation at all in that prison. So whatever came out of their bodies stayed on the ground. How can you be in such a place and be talking about joy? It is very fascinating to me that the Apostle Paul mentions joy and rejoicing more in the church at Philippi's little four-chapter letter they would receive than he does in any other of his church epistles. Matter of fact, no two epistles have the word joy and rejoice in them more than the church at Philippi. I want to take a little bit of time tonight. We're going to spend the remainder of our time tonight in the 16th chapter of Acts. It's in Acts 16 that Paul tells us the amazing story of how the church at Philippi began. That's good. This church where when he thinks of them, yeah. the good. word that comes to his mind is joy. Good. Would you pray with me tonight? I'm going to ask my dear friend, Brother Benson, and Brother Vincent, I know none of us will know what you're talking about, but I'd love to hear Brother Vincent pray in his native language. Okay, he has a lot more liberty when he's talking his language. So Brother Vincent, take us to the throne room and ask the Lord to help us in tonight's remaining message, would you please? <laughs> Yes. Aren't you glad you can be seated tonight that the Lord knows what He just said? God's not limited to one language. Amen? He knows the language of the whole world. 1986, God would call me. I was 24 years of age. I'd just gotten out of Bible college a little more than a year and a half before. There was a little 
group of people in northern Michigan, just like what you're getting ready to walk into, Brother Matt, that wanted to start an old-fashioned King James Bible believing soul winning church. Yes, sir. I had plans for my life. I had different ideas where I thought God would use me, and none of them included where He would send me. God would send me to northern Michigan. Now, in the summer, it's a beautiful place. In the winter, it's a cold place. We call the Jews God's chosen people. I often said we were God's frozen people up in Gator. Amen. Would snow about 180 inches every year where we live. And uh, God gave us a wonderful 33 years there. But I want to just tell you quickly tonight about some of the earliest days of the church. The church would begin on Mother's Day. We actually, officially, the groups that was going to be my founding families began to meet for several months. But I came officially and we had our first official service on Mother's Day 1986. We met in a little old hall about four or five miles out of town, and I'm talking a town of about, at that time, about 1,800 people. That was the only town in our entire county. There was a couple of crossroads that had names, but that was where I was. Our county population, when God put me there, was about 17,000 people in the entire county. We met in a Grange Hall, that's uh, sort of like a township hall. But uh, it's actually something that was started many years earlier by farmers in that area. And actually, if you've ever studied the word grain, some of you may have heard that term before. It actually means a fraternal order of husbandry, which was a fraternal organization of farmers, a place for them to meet and get together occasionally in their little community. That's where we would begin on Mother's Day 1986. And it was a very modest building. I mean, a, a just sort of a little dining area. We made an auditorium, a little kitchen. I, when I say little, this platform was probably a, maybe a third the size of the platform was this little kitchen. That was our nursery. There was a little uh, the uh, down in the basement, and it really wasn't a basement. It was just a mechanical room at the bottom of a set of wooden steps. And the mechanical room was about half the size of this platform that's where we held our children's Sunday school class and in the summertime we would try to hold a service or two for the children outside but that's where the Grace Baptist Church of Gator Michigan began God was good that first summer was an amazing thing uh, the uh, we started our first service we had 21 people and by the end of the summer we were running about 70 75 in attendance the uh, the Grange Hall people, we thought they'd be excited about what God was doing, but uh, you understand, they rented that thing out maybe once or twice a year. And for the four months that we met there, five months we met there, uh, the, uh, as our church grew and grew, those Grange Hall members, the little board members of that Grange, watched what was happening. And they were afraid we were going to tear up their old building. It wasn't worth nothing hardly anyhow. And about the first couple of days into September, I got a phone call from the board president that said uh, y'all can meet for a couple more weeks but you got to find another place first of October well we scurried all over uh, the community looking for some place and uh, the uh, this wasn't my first choice but it turned out to be a very good situation the seven-day Adventists go to church of course on Saturday 
And their building sits empty on Sunday, so we met with their leadership and they agreed to rent us the Seventh-day Adventist Church. <laughs> we pay them $100 for every service. $100 for Sunday school, $100 for the morning service, $100 for the evening service. And they had a midweek Wednesday night service. We moved ours to Thursday night, $100 for that. So for $400 a week, we had a church. We, of course, we were... 60, 70 people solid when we uh, moved to that building. And uh, man, God bless in that first year. We had our first time that we ever had a revival in that building. First Sunday, we ever went over 100 in that building. And then 150. And man, God just kept blessing. We were nearing our first full year in the Seventh-day Adventist building. And we decided to have a big day. We printed a bunch of flyers and then we promoted all over. I had a singer by the name of Brother Dan Daniels came. He was going to sing and man, we was going to have a big day. And uh, literally the week before the big day, Brother Manning, we got a, got a phone call from the Seventh-day Adventist folks that said, uh, we need y'all to be out by noon. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've ever heard me preach, that's, that's hard to do, amen? <laughs> Uh, we'd start at 11, but we'd usually be about 12, 15 before we'd be done. And they said, we got a wedding on that Sunday. And uh, we're actually starting the wedding at 12 noon. So y'all got to be out by like 11.30. And here we'd put flyers all over for the big day. I mean, we just, I mean, we tried everywhere in the world we could to still have a big day. But the, uh, it was a supernatural day, but man, what a, what a complicated organization it was to pull that off after that change of plans. <laughs> when we counted the attendance, we had 184 people came Amen. to church that Sunday. The church was only just slightly a year old. And uh, they come by looking at us. They were literally, there was seven or eight cars in the parking lot from their congregation and they watched 184 people walk out of their little building. And the next week, I got a phone call from their pastor and said, our building ain't big enough for y'all. He said, y'all need to find another place. And he said, we'll be gracious. They gave us one month to find a place. Well, we looked all over town. We couldn't find nothing. The only thing we found was an old auto parts store that had been vacant for some period of time. It was 30 feet wide, 90 feet long, about 11 foot ceilings, no bathrooms. I mean, it was just... Uh, the floor was sloped like this uh, the, uh, in the middle of the entire length of the building. And uh, it just so happened that a builder owned that building and uh, he gave us a lot of the material. We had to spend money on uh, other material. And in literally 30 days, we entirely renovated that building. We built an auditorium. We built uh, the uh, nursery. We built two classrooms. We built a, an office. We built a, uh, the uh, two bathrooms. We uh, uh, built a lobby area. I mean, it was unbelievable. For a month, we didn't sleep at night. I'm not kidding you. There was, there was some, some weeks in that month where we might get to two or three days in before we'd even get an hour's worth of sleep. The paint was still drying when we opened that door one month later on a Sunday morning. Yes, sir. Chandelier in the lobby, carpet on all the floors, the bathrooms all done, and walked into an auditorium. There's a big old, there was a big old, uh, uh, the warehouse kind of wooden door right there, and we just put a curtain on the front of it and put a cross in front of it, and that was the Grace Baptist Church, the first building we ever had that was ours all week long, every day. Wow, man, those were exciting days. But can I tell you the truth tonight? They were also very discouraging days. Man, I 
rejoice and people who've heard me tell the stories of Grace Baptist Church through the years. I mean, it was absolutely a miracle ministry. Yes, sir. Biggest day we ever had on our 20th anniversary. We had 1,573 in Sunday school in a town uh, by that time of about 3,000 people. God bless us in a the uh, uh, 33 year span, we had over 14,000 people walk the aisle, not just out on the street, 14,000 people who made a profession of faith and uh, told folks publicly they were saved through one of the ministries of the Grace Baptist Church. Amen. Just do the math. We were a town of 24, county of 24,000, and we had 14,000 saved in those 33 years. I'm not bragging. I'm saying uh, often when you hear me talk about our years in Michigan, you hear about all the glory. Man, those early years, while God was doing exciting things, I'm just going to be very honest tonight, and I'm taking you somewhere, so stay with me. Our offerings, Brother Gray, a year into that thing, when we were in the Seventh-day Adventist building, cost us 400 bucks a week. Our offerings were averaging about $700 to $1,000 a week. Now, it was cost us 400 to rent the building. I had a massive salary they gave me. It was impressive. My salary was $250 a week. There you go. Now, they were gracious, preacher. They gave me a housing allowance. It was $300 a month. That was my whole package. $300 a month, housing, and $250 a week. Do the math. That means when all that was done, we had about $100, $150 left over. And I'm just going to be honest. I know I shouldn't be so transparent tonight. A lot of you are going to lose respect for Brother Jenkins. But I remember a lot of those days, Brother Gray, when we'd pray and study and pray and prepare and knock doors. For many, many months, I knocked on doors 35, 40 hours a week. I mean, what else I have to do? I ain't got but just a handful of people. Nobody's coming to me for counsel. I'm 24 years old. <laughs> Half the stuff I was preaching, I don't even believe anymore. <laughs> Got all my Sunday school lessons from Hiles Anderson. <laughs> Once Brother Hiles taught at First Baptist, probably like your church uses. What's your point tonight, preacher? While God was blessing and we were seeing so many prayers answered, can I just be honest with you? I was always thinking in my heart, I can't wait till we have our own building. I can't wait till, uh, you know, I, I can have a full-time salary and really be able to the, uh, take care of my family. I can't wait till we start averaging 100 men. Oh, it's going to be exciting when we start averaging 150. And oh, uh, man, when we break 200 men, oh, that's going to be an exciting day. And while I was praying and I think all that was okay, what I did not realize, I'd fallen into something. Something that I call, and you maybe have heard others refer to this, I had fallen into the when and then trap. By the way, it manifests itself in dozens of disguises. When I go to college, then I'll be happy. Uh, when, uh, when I can finally move out of the house and uh, you know, have my own place, uh, uh, then, boy, then life's going to be different. When I get a promotion at work. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. When we have kids. Oh, well, that sure was a pleasant surprise, wasn't it? You had kids and said, 
Boy, it'll all be wonderful when we finally have kids. And then after about six weeks of not sleeping one full night, you said, I don't know how much more I can take. And then you said, when they finally grow up, <laughs> when they get out of diapers, when they go to school, uh, when they, when they, uh, they uh, go to college, when they get married, when they leave, hallelujah. And you know what you found out? Every stage of parenting gets more complicated. People, there's people that think, Brother Manning, when their kids grow up and move out of the house, everything's going to be slick as a whistle. Can I tell you, you're going to have as many heartaches, maybe more heartaches and burdens when they go, go out of the house than you are when they were at the house. What I didn't realize I was doing, while my, my heart, I think, was sincere, I wasn't fully happy because I was always saying I will be when. Yeah. I will be then. We'll take this. I'd fallen into the when and the then trap. Can I just say tonight, a lot of people are waiting for all the planets to perfectly align. <laughs> then, you're going to be happy. Would you all mind if I quoted a verse tonight? I won't even quote the whole verse. I just quote enough of it. I don't think you can take the whole verse. Let me quote a little verse for you. Peter says in the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 8, he ends the verse with these words, yet believing, listen now, this is the qualification for what he's about to say. Just have to be a believer. Don't have to be perfect. Don't have to all, all your ducks in a row. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. He's not talking about a future event. He's not talking about utopia. He's talking about right now. He's describing the present. He said it is possible if you're a believer to have joy unspeakable. Can I just say this tonight? Here's the message. I'm going to tie it all together real quick. God wants you and I to enjoy the journey. Most people's attitude is I'll be happy when. And all the focus is on the day. When I get a house, what's the here's what's going to happen when you get a house? You're going to have a bunch of problems with the house. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be happy when I get my, my own. Uh, if I could just have a washer and dryer, everything would be okay. <laughs> tired of going on a minute. I'll never forget, Brother Gray, when we bought our first washer and dryer. You know, nowadays when kids get married, I mean, it's, it's just expected. Of course, we're going to go out and pay credit and buy some new washer dryer. You can't survive that one. We did for six years. We didn't have a washer dryer for six years. We went to the laundromat. Did y'all hear it? Yeah. The laundromat. Finally, I, we couldn't take it no more, preacher. We was, we was looking at the, the, the uh, you know, uh, uh, the, one ad, you know, look at all the classified ads, and finally we saw for 200 bucks a washer dryer that said it was used, but it rained. <laughs> That's all I was worried about. We went to look at it. I, I, I'm not over exaggerating when I tell you they had to be the ugliest washer dryer I've ever seen in my life. They were gold colored. 
I don't mean bright gold like you know the Notre Dame helmets. I mean sort of like you know golden rod, you know that kind of gold. And the lady said they run, man. They never had no trouble with them. They were pretty old, but she said they, they're, they're dependable. She said there's only one problem. <laughs> she said some paint came off inside the tub, and there's a, a little rust spot there. And she said sometimes it gets rust on your clothes. No, let me clarify. It always gets rust on your clothes. <laughs> Not sometimes. We took the preacher. We were so we were so excited. We was in the back of a church member's pickup truck driving home. I mean, we looked like the Beverly Hillbillies, man. We were so excited. We got home, preacher. We were renting a, ca- a little cabin on a lake, and it was it was I mean, it was it was so basic, and uh, it wasn't block walls, but the gray. It was poured concrete walls. Made it nice and cool in the summer. But I got that thing inside of the house, that washer dryer. I mean, we had, we had no laundry room. I mean, it was right in the middle of everything. And it dawned on me. you got to invent these things. There ain't no where, I mean, I can't be chipping out no block. It's rented, first of all. I mean, it, these are poured, solid concrete walls. I'm thinking about breaking windows, all kinds of stuff. Finally, I'm thinking, man, it is awful cold in here. I said, what if I vented it in the house? We'd get the heat from it. We did, preacher. It worked. Now, all of our windows were like fogged all the time. You used to squeeze it. Man, did we have soft skin while we were living there. We had a, I mean, a built-in. We didn't need a humidifier. We didn't need a Well, we had our own wash dryer. We weren't going to town no more. Hallelujah. Y'all hear me tonight? You know I'm telling you the truth. That's right. How many of us have spent day after day, week after week, year after year, saying, I'll be happy when? Then I'll be happy when this happens. I want to say something tonight about raising kids. That's really not the purpose of this sermon, but I want to say something about raising kids tonight. I am convinced, Brother Gray, and I know this is going to be a little over the top, but I'm convinced of what I'm about to say. I am convinced that this thought tonight may be the key to your kids following in your faith. If you don't have joy, why would anybody want what you got? If it's just survival all the time and you're just doing the best you can and you're struggling day in and day out, listen, your children and my children watch that. They're going to run a hundred miles away from what you're living. Here's my message tonight. I'm hurrying to the finish line. The title of it is Choose Joy. I said choose joy. I've learned two things about joy I want you to remember tonight. Number one, joy is a person. Did you hear what I said? Joy is a person and His name is Jesus Christ. Joy is not nearly as emotional as it is relational. You find Christ, I'm going to tell you what you find, you find joy. And I'm looking at some of y'all tonight and I ain't so sure you found it. 
Because you're not even happy in church. There is a joy, and then there's the joy of the Lord. By the way, the world can't take that away from you because it isn't what gave it to you. Amen. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our what? Strength. A right relationship with your Lord and Savior is step one to having joy. Joy is a person. But let me make a second statement tonight. Joy is a choice. I said joy is a choice. Just like joy is more relational than it is emotional, I also believe, Brother Manning, it is more volitional than it is emotional. Hmm. Hey, joy is not always the easiest choice, but it is always the obvious choice. Good. You can choose joy anywhere, yes, sir. any way, yes, sir. anytime. Listen, listen. Yes, God wants you and I to have joy. Don't miss this statement. I'm going to play on a, a, little, a little rhyme here. He wants us to have joy at every age and at every stage. Now, but man, I'm trying to be nice, but I, I, I'm watching people who are younger than me acting like they're ready to die. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, right. My, my, everything I got's hurting. You're in your 50s. What are you talking right. about? Right. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Well, I, I feel like it's time to step down from my class. And, you know, it's time for the younger people to take over. What are you talking about? All right. Why is it in our fundamental Baptist churches when people get in their 60s and 70s, everybody quits teaching Sunday school, everybody quits working in the ministry? Can I just say this tonight? If you're a senior saint tonight, you have got more wisdom and you've got more information in your brain than you've had at any other time in your life. And if you're honest, you've probably got more free time than you ever had any time in your life. And you quit your Sunday class? What are you thinking about? Good. So I, I want to give the young people a chance, Brother Jenkins. How many people are standing in line for your job? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> If nobody's standing in line, guess what? God's not telling you to step down. That's right. It's good. It's good stuff. Well, Brother Jenkins, I'm getting old. No, you're getting cranky is what's happening to you. <laughs> These kids are on my nerves. You can have joy at any stage and at any age because joy is a person and number two, it's a choice. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Amen. Here's what I believe tonight. We simply need to choose joy. Now, I'm not telling you that I've got this all figured out. I'm going to be honest. I still get discouraged. I still go through occasional self-doubt. Listen, I still occasionally throw a pity party. Mm. 
I threw one this morning. I knew what the Lord had told me to preach before I got out of my bed this morning, tonight, and you'd know it all day long I had to try to practice what I was going to preach tonight. I got to the airport this morning. An hour and 15 minutes early. That's plenty of time. I'm a frequent flyer. I get the quick line. I got there, brother. Man, there was 45 people in my line. Usually there's one or two there. I said, this ain't good. I'm standing there, standing there. Normally, I mean, literally, I get out of the car, dropped off the airport. I'm usually through TSA, and I'm already sitting down with a cup of coffee in 10 minutes. I'm looking at my clock. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes before I got to the counter. You didn't believe what happened to me. I mean, if you saw my fancy duffel bag, it's got all these tags on it that says, I am important. <laughs> Buddy, I'm a frequent flyer. Sometimes when I need to, you know, yeah. make my point, I lay it right there where they can see all the tags. <laughs> I got up there, here's what this dude said to me today. He said, uh, we got a problem, Dr. Jenkins. I said, we do. He said, you missed your flight. You don't leave for 45 minutes. What are you talking about? He goes, I can't separate you from your bag. And he said, it is, it's what he said, it is 45 minutes and 45 seconds until your flight leaves. And at 45 minutes, I can't put any baggage on your plane now. That's what you're talking about. He said, I got to get you on another flight. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I need to be on that flight. <laughs> he said, well, all I can tell you is you ain't getting on that flight. I said, no, wait a minute, come out here. The reason I he had no passive He said, if you'd gotten here early, you wouldn't have to go. I said, hey, come on, big boy. I said, I've been in line on a half hour. He said, you should have been there sooner than that. I said, you never have a line that long. He was, I can't tell you. Well, I don't tell you. He said, we only had two people working the counter today. I'm starting to think, I'm going to give Delta Air, Delta, peace of my mind. This is not my fault. This is Delta's fault. And the Lord whispered in my ear, what's that sermon you preaching tonight? Because <laughs> I'm thinking about preaching another one, bless God. I need some power when I preach it. I ain't going to have no power when I preach this one tonight. I mean, it just happened all day long. Like that. Are y'all listening tonight? <laughs> you know what I had to do all day? I had to choose joy because I didn't feel like it. Y'all with me tonight? Dr. Curtis Hudson said this statement. He said, you do not attract what you want. You attract what you are. If that's true, Brother Huntington, I wonder how many of us have no prayer whatsoever our kids are going to live for God. Because you don't get what you choose. Or what you want, you get what you are. Why would your children and grandchildren choose your faith if you're not enjoying it? I know this isn't deep, but it sure is what the Lord told me to deal with tonight. Mm. Poor Brother James, we got two more nights. I don't know how much more I can take. 
You need to choose joy tonight. I said, you need to choose joy tonight. Can I ask you to real quick, I'm going to take you on a real fast trip. Look at chapter 16, the book of Acts, look at verse 6. I'm going to make three statements tonight about choosing joy. We'll be done. You'll remember I said just a little bit ago, the book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi that was started in Acts 16. Notice, if you will, where it all begins, verse 6. Paul, by the way, is at this moment in a place called Antioch. I won't take you back, Brother Gray mentioned it tonight. I won't take you back to the maps in the back of your Bible, but if you look on your Bible map, the country above present-day Israel would be called today Lebanon. That's where Antioch would be, right on the Syrian border, what is now Syria. That's where the church was now the center of the New Testament church, was no longer at this point in Acts in Jerusalem. It was now in Antioch. Paul is at Antioch, and look what happens in verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Pergia. Now, again, if we had a map to look at tonight, and you looked along the, uh, the uh, uh, eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, Israel's right here where my hands are. Right above it is Antioch. And if you draw, drew a 45 degree angle line uh, out across the Mediterranean Sea up into Asia Minor, you would run right into the city called Pergia. This is where Paul's headed. Notice the Bible says it's the region of Galatia. This is where Paul's going. By the way, he is starting the second missionary journey of the New Testament church age. He knows what God has called them to do. That's to preach the gospel and build churches. But what he does not know is where he's supposed to do it. Right. So Paul does this amazing idea. He says, since I don't know where to go, I'm just going to try start trying to go. I'm not saying what he did was wrong, but can I tell you tonight, do not try to open doors. Amen. That's good. There's a promise made to us in the book of Revelation that if God opens a door, Amen. Right. That's right. But many times what you and I do when we don't have open doors, we try to make open doors. Right, sir. And can I just throw this out tonight? The devil can open doors too. Right. So you better make sure you know it's a door God opened. But Paul's trying to figure out what to do next. But read with me out loud, church, the last statement of verse number 6. After they went to Pergia, this region of Galatia, and what's the Bible say? were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia. Now, Brother Bob tonight took us back to Asia. Ephesians is at the bottom of what we call the region of Asia Minor. And by the way, Paul will end up preaching there just slightly on this journey, but it will be at the end of it, not at the beginning of it. Now look what happens. Verse 7 says, After they were come to Messiah, they're still heading sort of north northwest. The Bible said they assayed, that means they attempted to go into Bithia. That was north of, the, of what we call Asia. And read them, if you will, out loud tonight, church, after the word but, the end of verse 7. Together, the Spirit suffered them not. They passing by Messiah came down to Troas. Listen very closely. Verse 6 and verse 7 are this. They are all plan A in the Apostle Paul's mind. They are Paul's plan, Paul's idea, Paul's thoughts, Paul's 
uh, the uh, you know scheming and dreaming. And guess what? Every single time he says, "Let's go here. Let's try this." Uh, both times the Bible says God said no. God kept closing doors. But here's where the plan that looked like Plan B actually ends up being Plan A. Look at verse number eight, if you will. It says, And they passing by Messiah came down to Troas, verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Guess what's happening? Up until this point, it's been Paul's plan. Now we're starting to see God's plan. And you got to hear me now. Paul ain't got no bad intentions. Paul's not wanting to get drunk. Paul's not talking about uh, wasting his life doing something selfish. Paul's trying to do the ministry. You can even be out of the will of God trying to be in the will of God. What we have to figure out is what is God's plan and what is my plan. Y'all with me? Look, if you will, at verse number 11, or verse number 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering uh, that the Lord had called us to go uh, for us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, verse 11, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course uh, to Samuel of Rosia, uh, the uh, in the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to where did allow church to? Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. Oh, listen, listen to what happens. Paul's trying to figure out what God wants him to do, and Paul is simply at this moment doing what he thinks. And then God changes all of Paul's plans. And Paul wasn't thinking about Macedonia, he was thinking about Asia. Statement number one tonight, why we all struggle choosing joy. We need to recognize, this is so basic, but don't miss it. We need to recognize the presumption of our plans. By the way, the word presumption is not a good word. Right. Not in the context of the Bible. One of the sins that really grieves the Holy Ghost of God is presumptuous sin. You know what a presumptuous sin is? It's a sin that you know you're not supposed to do it, but you do it anyway. And it really helps if you're an independent Baptist because you know if you do it, it won't affect your eternal security. I'm not so sure that's what the eternal security of the believer is. It's a license for us to sin. You know, we all jokingly say, you know, I'll just do it and ask for forgiveness instead of ask for permission. Gentlemen, you know pornography is a sin. And yet when you go seek that stuff, I don't care how strong the temptation, when you pursue it, that's committing a presumptuous sin. You know you're going to have to have an account with God. And you know you're going to have to tell Him you're sorry. And you know you're going to have to ask Him to restore you back to a place of fellowship. But you do it anyway. Because you're a gambler. You're willing to risk everything for one more pleasure. You're like a, you're like a drug addict. Mm. One more fix, and you won't do it no more. How many times have you promised yourself that, and you do it again and again and again? I'm going to tell you why. It's presumptuous sin. Here you go. Sorry. I said we need to recognize the presumptuousness of our plans. Amen. 
You know why most people don't have joy? I'm talking about real joy. I'm talking about abiding joy. If we'd be honest, I'm convinced of it. Brother Gray, it's because our plans did not work out. Right. Exactly. We make a plan. We ask God to bless it. And if He don't bless it and it don't work out, we're in the mud, brother. Yes, sir. Well, I tried to do what the Lord told me to do. You did not. You didn't even consult the Lord. <laughs> you made your mind up. You opened the door. And then when the door slammed shut, well, I just don't know what God wants. I'll tell you what He wants. He wants you to listen and quit talking. Yes. He wants you to yield instead of quit scheming and dreaming. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy path. You know what it means to acknowledge Him? It means I'm dumb in a box of rocks and don't know how to get out of my own way. So how can I be making any plans? I need to just tell the Lord, speak thy servant here. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul was in pretty good shape when he prayed that prayer. You know how deep he was in his Christian life when he prayed that prayer? He wasn't but a few seconds in the family of God. First prayer he prayed after he got saved was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Mm. He's doing pretty good then, Brother yeah. Brain. Yeah. I mean, think about this tonight. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to get you to be honest tonight. How can you have no joy in a long time? I mean, think how delusional our plans are. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I mean, we can't even hardly do the stuff, the basic stuff we know God demands of us. How are we going to reach the city when we can't even turn off the internet? How are we going to shake a region for God when we can't even turn the TV off at night and go to bed early enough that we can get up early in the morning and walk with God before our day starts? How delusional. I love this one, Brother Manny. God's telling me to do something that I know you are not for. If he says one word, he's a dictator trying to run my life. No, he's your shepherd trying to keep you from getting devoured by wolves. Can I ask you a question? I don't believe preachers should be dictators. I don't think God tells Brother Manny the will for every member of this church in life. Every person in this church is will of God for their life. But I tell you what I wouldn't do. I would not make one serious major decision in my life without at least asking, Pastor, would you pray for me about something? You know why you wrote, went around him? It wasn't because you was afraid of what he was going to say. It's because you didn't care what he said. He's just the under-shepherd. He ain't the Lord of the harvest. He don't want to be the Lord of the harvest. He don't act like the Lord of the harvest, but he is a man of God. Amen. He is the shepherd. That's right. Commissioned by the great shepherd to be your under shepherd. And he wouldn't be a good pastor if he let you fall off cliffs and said, well, I guess that's the will of the Lord. <laughs> I know I'm making more enemies right now than friends. <laughs> I mean, not only are our plans often delusional, how about this? How audacious are some of our plans? I'm going to do this. You mean the God who made you? The God who knows all your strengths, all your weaknesses, you didn't even pray about it? 
You talk about audacious. I mean, what about how prideful some of our plans are? Yeah. Yeah. How presumptuous some of our plans. I'm not beating you up. I'm telling you why we don't have any joy. Let me give you a second statement tonight. I said statement number one. I said statement number one. We need to recognize the presumptuousness of our plans. Number two, this is simple. We need to realize the detour is often the destination. I said the detour is often the destination. These are the cities Paul mentions in our text tonight. Pergia, Paul's plan. Galatia, Paul's plan. Asia, Paul's plan. Mysia, Paul's plan. Bithynia, Paul's plan. It's not until he gets to Troas that he gets God's plan. But guess what? Look at a map. Look where Antioch is. Look where Troas is. Look where Philippi is. And do you know what Antioch to Troas is? It's a straight line to where he had to be to get to where God told him to go. Even though they were all his plans, they were moving him to where he could get God's plan. That's good. Here's my point tonight. Even when things fall apart, it's probably the best interaction. Here's what I've discovered. Most of my victories happen right after the setback. Hmm. Most of my, what I would call Red Sea miracles happen right after I get surrounded by the Egyptian army. <laughs> Everybody wants miracles, but nobody wants circumstances that they take one. <laughs> oh, I'd like to have some great stories to tell that Brother Gray and Brother Manny. You don't want them. You don't want the rich. <laughs> They're very expensive. To work. I said we need to realize the detour is often the destination. So Jenkins, why has God allowed you just fill the blank in? Why has God allowed this in my life? Why has God let me struggle for so many years with this? Why did I have to go through that? Struggles, suffering, setbacks, trials, tribulations, temptations, heartbreaks, hindrances, hardships, poverty, problems, persecutions, discouragement, disappointment, even depression. Here's what I've discovered. Oftentimes my failures are disorienting. They are discouraging. They are depressing. I, I'm gonna be honest with you, Bill Matt. They're embarrassing. Man, I told everybody what God was gonna do, and he not only didn't do it, he made a laughing stock out of me. Everybody thinks I'm an idiot. Let me give you some wonderful news tonight. As long as you didn't quit, as long as you didn't choose to be a victim, if you'll look real close and you'll track where you've been, 
All those discouraging, depressing, difficult times were the best things that ever happened to you. Yes, sir. You know how God gets you from Antioch to Philippi? He's got to close a bunch of doors before He can open some. I can't tell you how many times, Brother Manny, especially as a pastor. I got up and told my church, the Lord told me something. <laughs> That's dangerous. I know what God wants next. Man, I got clarity from the Lord. And my people said, Amen. We got us a man of God. Amen. Let's follow him. About six months, 12 months, 18 months into that. Hmm. That didn't work at all. <laughs> matter of fact, we're in more trouble now than we were in this Preach about four or five messages on patience, and forgiveness, long suffering. You can cry a couple times in the world, but it was sincere, but it's because you thought you were going to get fired. <laughs> I can't tell you, but Grant, I know this happened to you. I know it has. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That doesn't mean they believe it, and that means they love you. That's all that means. <laughs> I'm with you if you think it's thin. Because we're pretty thin, well, I'll have to pretty thin. Hey, 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 hey. You know how much God's teaching you through all the losses? Do you know how much patience? Hey, the Bible says ye have need of patience. Yes. You don't want to get patience from, don't you? When nothing's working out. When all your plans are falling apart. When people are thinking, man, maybe we got the wrong man. Mm. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you who the people I love the most. And I love all my people, preacher. But I love those people in ways I can't even put in perspective. Who watch me struggle as a man. Yes, sir. Trying to be what I thought God wanted me to be still making mistakes. I'm not talking about doing wicked things. I'm just talking about missing God. Yeah. Or at least it looked like I missed God. It might have been the way God got me to Troas. That's true. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 16? A man's heart deviseth his way. But the Lord directeth his steps. Here's what Paul's saying. How about Pergamum? Uh, how about Galatia? Uh, uh, Pamphylia? Uh, uh, Bithynia? Uh, Messiah? And all while he's doing this, the Holy Ghost is doing this. Every place he's saying is the wrong place, but he's getting him to Troas. You know what Troas is? It's right on the edge of the Aegean Sea. Yes, it is. Guess what's on the other side of the GNC? You think it's Macedonia, and it is, but that ain't what it is. You know what Macedonia is? It's Europe. Mm -hmm. You know what Europe is? For everybody in this room tonight that's got Polak in your blood, German in your blood, French in your blood, uh, Czech in your blood, uh, the uh, you name it. I mean, uh, British, British in your blood. I mean, literally almost everybody in this room tonight can trace your lineage to 
way to Ohio. Paul's thinking about a few cities in Asia Minor and Galatia. God's thinking about the whole world. Thank God the detours are off to the destination. Listen to what Corey Tenbrun said. Y'all know who Corey is, don't you? What an amazing story. In 1975, they made a movie of her famous story called The Hiding Place. They lived in Amsterdam, what we would call Holland. And her dad was trying to hide Jews escaping Nazi Germany. They had a little portion in a room in their apartment where they built a false wall. And every time the Nazis would come, they would hide their guests behind that wall. But some neighbors turned them in. And the Nazis came when they found that, that, that room. And they put the whole family on a train headed for a concentration camp. Her dad, a wonderful Christian man, would die in that concentration camp. Her sister, her best friend in this world, would die in that concentration camp. But Corey survived and would crisscross the world for the next 40, 50 years of her life telling the entire world how good God was. Corey Ten Boom's name is synonymous with you don't have nothing to complain about. God's been better to you than you know that he is. Corey Tenbu made this statement. She goes, when you're riding on a train and it goes into a dark tunnel, you do not demand that the engineer stop the train and get off. She said, you just sit quietly and you trust the engineer. And a lot of times in my life and your life, when our plans have fallen apart, we just have to trust the engineer. I've learned sometimes it's just better to be quiet when you don't know for sure if what's coming out of your mouth is good to hear. Sometimes when people are being quiet, just leave them alone. They might be trying to not mess up any worse than they've already felt like they messed up. How can I choose joy? Brother Jenkins, number one, I said tonight, we need to recognize the presumption of our plans. Number two, we need to realize that the detour is off the destination, I'm done tonight. We also need to rejoice in closed doors and in open doors. I said close and open. I'm done, but hear the story. You know the story. It's Acts 16. We're here. I'm not going to read through the verses. We're out of time. You'll know that a little later, Paul comes to this city and the first few interested people in this new church. Now, they've seen a Macedonian vision. I don't doubt for a minute. They're, they're expecting big stuff to happen in The Bible says they spent many days there. Mm-hmm. All they got is a couple of children and a couple of women showing up down alongside the river. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Paul and Silas are saying, man, 
This ain't what we expect. We, we thought, buddy, it's going to be citywide evangelism. George Bebuchet singing, Billy Graham preaching. We're going to be shouting up at you, man. We're going to be starting multiple churches. Oh, we got a couple women and children. They would lead a lady to the Lord by the name of Lydia. 